this morning, we're going to continue our series um, that we started last week, and it was called Keeping It Real. Keeping It Real. And so in the spirit of that this morning, I thought I would just maybe share a few things with you guys about me and just kind of keep it real. Is that okay? Okay, so let's start out. Let's start out with my hair. This morning, um, when I was getting ready for church, I I had to use this little magical bottle um, of spray on my hair because, you know, there's some like wisdom highlights we're trying to like shine through this morning. I'm kind of behind. I need to make an appointment with the miracle working van. And so, so, you know, some of that wisdom is like seeping through. So I had to use um, this spray on my hair so that you can see it. Now, young people, for those of you who don't know, wisdom highlights, it, that's gray hair, okay? But it makes me feel so much better about myself when I just say it's wisdom, okay? So I'm just keeping it real with you guys this morning. And, and while we're on the subject of hair, um, let's talk about hats. You know, um, I love, I love to wear hats. And, and a lot of times I get comments like, oh, you look so cute in a hat. Or, or I could never, you know, wear a hat like you do. But can I tell you the truth today? If you see me in a hat... It's not because I'm like trying to look real cute and it really has nothing to do with me trying to be trendy or fashionable, but actually if you see me in a hat, it's, it's because I really need to wash my hair. <laughs> and I just didn't have time to do it that day. So, you know, a hat always does the trick. So I'm just keeping it real with you guys this morning, okay? Keeping it real. Now, um, let's, can we just talk, let's have a conversation about filters, Okay, like filters, like, you know, that the people are using on on their pictures for social media, filters, you you guys know what I'm talking about. I mean, don't get me wrong, I I will be honest, I I love a good filter. Like, a good filter can just, like, smooth out all the places that you want to smooth out, and it can make you look younger, filter can make you look skinnier, I I mean, filters, they can be great, but we've got to be careful with these filters, guys. What if we go missing, no one will be able to find us because in real life, we don't look anything like our pictures. Guys, I'm just, I'm keeping it real this morning. We gotta be careful with these filters on these pictures. And a little bit goes a long way, okay? And so I know I'm having fun with you guys this morning, but on a serious note, if we're keeping it real today, can we talk about the fact that God doesn't always make sense? God doesn't always make sense. Am I the only like non-spiritual person in here that thinks that, you know what, sometimes God just doesn't make sense. And so I'm gonna use a lot of scripture today, but I want us to um, read our core verse this morning and let's take a look at Isaiah 55 verses eight and nine. And it says this, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. You know, I love the quote that says, if God were small enough to be understood, he wouldn't be big enough to be worshiped. You know, God doesn't always make sense because he doesn't see things the way that we see them and and he doesn't do things the way that we would do them. You know, the more that I study the Bible and then I kind of look at the way many of us Christians are living our lives, I'm convinced that we have like forced our secular way of living onto scripture instead of allowing the scripture to radically transform the way we live. 
You know, as I study um, the life and the teachings of Jesus, the more I am convinced that, that he's in the business of radically disrupting the patterns of this world. And what we understand in our small minds, he's going to turn it all upside down. You see, the kingdom of God is an upside down kingdom. The rules and the standards with which he governs are are very different. In fact, they're completely opposite to the rules and the standards of the world that you and I live in today. The kingdom of God is an upside down kingdom. And that's why sometimes God just doesn't make sense to us. So today, I want to look at some principles of this kingdom, this upside-down kingdom, that will help us to understand more about why God doesn't make sense. So the first principle I want us to look at is, in order to become a leader, you must become a servant. In the upside-down kingdom, in God's kingdom, in order to become a leader, you must become a servant. Matthew 20 verses 25 and 28 says, but Jesus called them to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know, what Jesus taught in those verses is so countercultural to what we hear today. I mean, society, it tells us that in order to lead, we've got to get loud. We need to push and shove our way to the top. We need to know our worth and just let anyone who will listen, will tell them about it, Right? You know, society tells us to promote ourselves and and get in the front of the line, climb that ladder and just step on anything or anyone that's in your way. Society tells us that we gotta hustle and we've gotta hustle hard. But the way of Jesus is the opposite. You see, he says that the last will be first. He says that to gain our lives, we must lose it. He says to humble ourselves and we will be lifted up. He says that in order to be a great leader, we must serve. You know, sometimes I think we think of servanthood as as something that's done by these low-level people, like with not a lot of talent. They're just kind of the bottom of the barrel. Those are the ones who are supposed to serve. And we may even think that if we serve, that that it will lower um, people's view of us. But you know what? That is so, so very wrong. You know, when I think of someone who has served me more than anyone else in my life, I think of my mom. Man, she, she has served me from the time I was born and even now as an adult. She is such a servant. She's always serving me. You know, good moms, they're such a great example of servanthood as they work hard and, and they serve their families. You know, do you think that I have a lower view of my mom because she serves me? No, absolutely not. I have the highest view of her. She is one of my heroes. As she served me, it's made an impact on my life. You see, when serving people actually has the opposite effect on them than what you might think. People are actually drawn towards those who have sacrificially given of themselves because service adds value. Yeah. 
Service adds value. You know, a good leader is always trying to find ways to add value to others. And the primary way that we can do that is by serving them. So I want to quickly look at just a few ways that you and I can become better servant leaders this morning. So number one, we need to humble ourselves. If we want to be servant leaders, we've got to humble ourselves. You know, the world tells us to do whatever it takes to achieve success. And the books, they tell us to to dress and act in a certain way in order to get noticed. And fairy tales, they just tell us, oh, just believe in yourself. But Jesus tells us to humble ourselves. Jesus tells us to humble ourselves. In Luke 14, 11, it says, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. You know, if we want to be servant leaders, we've got to admit to ourselves and to others that we don't know it all. We don't have it all together. We've got to be willing to listen and learn from others, even to listen and learn from the people that we lead. You know, it's so important as a servant leader to acknowledge their value and to acknowledge their worth because the truth is that they may have better ideas than we have. And they may even see things through a different perspective that we don't have. But the only way that we can see these things is if we are willing to humble ourselves. Humble yourselves. The second thing we need to do to become a servant leader is be flexible. Be flexible. You know, one of my favorite life quotes is, blessed are the flexible for they will never be bent out of shape. Be flexible. Servant leaders, they practice flexibility and and they're willing to adapt to their situations and their circumstances. And they understand that, you know what, sometimes life just throws you curveballs, but you can recognize that God is present in every single circumstance. You know, servant leaders, they have a willingness to, to be flexible and they even invite change. They invite change. And the reason that servant leaders and and flexible leaders are are able to invite change is because they see change for what it is. Change is actually an opportunity for growth and for faith. And, And that's what helps these servant leaders to lead well. The third thing we can do to become a servant leader is to show empathy. Show empathy. Romans 12, 15 says, be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. You know, empathy for a servant leader is, is just being able to put yourself in someone else's shoes. Just, just kind of experience and understand what they are feeling or what they may be going through. I'll be honest, it, it's easy for me sometimes, and I'm sure it is for you as a leader, to get hyper-focused on um, tasks, and on the work that needs to be done. And, and don't get me wrong, you know, work is important and accomplishing tasks and meeting goals, those are all necessary parts of life. But if we aren't careful, we can start to see people as problems to fix instead of people who need to be loved. Don't see people as problems to be fixed, but see them as people that need to be loved. You know, when we take time to relate to those who are around us and we empathize and When we do that, we actually become more like Jesus. You know, whenever Jesus encountered someone who was hurting or in need of encouragement, he always took the time to really see them. He would really take time and effort and and focus on them. He would really see them, and then, then he would have compassion on them. And then that compassion would move him to action. 
You see, a servant leader has empathy and they see people through the eyes of Jesus. The last thing we need to do to become a servant leader is we need to have good stewardship. Good stewardship. 1 Peter 4.10 says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. You know, one of the definitions of stewardship is the careful and responsible management of something entrusted into one's care. As a leader, it's so important that we are good stewards of the people that God places in our lives. A servant leader, they don't just see people as things or objects to be moved around on a chessboard of their business, but no, they see people as valuable to God and they steward their time and their treasure and their talents well. You know, this kind of leader calls out what is good and what is true about the people that they lead. They give them instruction and encouragement on how to serve God well. You know, when you spend time around a servant leader, you leave feeling like not only are you valued by them, but you are valued by God and that you can trust that your talents are going to be used to expand his kingdom. You know, today, this upside down kingdom where God doesn't always make sense, where if you want to be a leader, you got to first be a servant. The second principle in God's upside down kingdom is this what's impressive to people isn't always what's important to God. What's impressive to people isn't always what's important to God. Let's take a look at the story of the widow's might. Mark 12, 41 through 44, it says, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. You see, there were others that day who gave a lot more money than the widow. And and there were some rich people who gave large amounts that would have been very, very impressive to the people that were around. But you see, what was impressive to the people wasn't what was important to Jesus. He went by a different standard. In 1 Samuel 16, 7, it says, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. You see, those those rich people, they may have come with all their flash and their bling, and, and they probably looked real good on the outside. You know, they had their Sunday best. They were dressed to impress. They looked impressive, but Jesus looked past them and looked at the poor little widow lady. You know, she probably didn't have fancy clothes and she probably didn't stand out in a crowd. No one else probably would have noticed her. But Jesus, Jesus saw her heart. Jesus saw her sacrifice. Jesus saw the value of her gift. You know, this morning I want to encourage you, don't mistake what is most noticeable for what is most valuable. I want to say that again because I really want you to get this truth in your heart. Do not mistake what is most noticeable for what is most valuable. 
You see, the world is impressed by the stage. The world is impressed by talent and fame and by success. But the kingdom of God is an upside down kingdom. Those things are not what is important to God. Don't waste your life trying to impress or try to be noticed by the world. But let's live our life by God's standards. Let's do what is most valuable and what is most important to him. Let me me remind you of a few things that are important to God. Your worship is important to God. In the story of Mary and Martha, Martha was busy and she was working and running around crazy, but Mary chose to sit at the feet of Jesus. Luke 10, 41 through 42, Jesus said, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better or what is most important, and it will not be taken away from her. So your worship is important to God, but also your heart is important to God. Proverbs 21, two says, every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. Holiness. Holiness is important to God. Hebrews 12, 14 says, make every effort to live in peace and everyone to be holy because without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Faith is important to God. Hebrews eleven six 6 says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Our thoughts are important to God. Philippians 4, 8 says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Obedience is important to God. 1 John 2, 17 says, the world and its desires will pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. And finally this morning, scripture tells us the most important thing is love. Love for God and love for others. Matthew twenty two thirty six through 40, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, the most important commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two. I'm just keeping it real this morning. God doesn't always make sense. His kingdom is an upside down kingdom where what's impressive to people isn't always what's important to God. The third principle I want us to look at is that sometimes what we see as trouble, God sees as training. Sometimes what we see as trouble, God actually sees as training. In James 1, 2 through 4, it says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. 
The upside down kingdom tells us that trouble is actually an opportunity for great joy. Excuse me? What? (laughs) Why would I be joyful in trouble? Why would I be joyful in trials? Because when we look at troubles and trials through God's way, we can see that trouble is actually a training ground to make us into something great. We aren't excited about the trouble, but we can have joy knowing that that trial is going to bring about a deeper faith and and more endurance and, and a complete life that is lacking nothing. You know, it's kind of, it's kind of like the gym, okay? <laughs> a little over a year ago, I started, or should probably say restarted, um, a fitness journey, okay? And, and I've got a group of friends, and we call ourselves the Fit Fam, so shout out to my Fit Fam in the audience. And you know what? We got together, and we made a decision, and we set a goal to get in shape, And we committed to work out at least three to four times a week. And honestly, I'm pretty proud of us because we have kept that commitment for a little over a year now. So it's pretty, it's pretty exciting. I'm pretty proud of us. But can I tell you something about me and working out? (laughs) Can we just keep it real here this morning? Um, I'm not the girl who's like, oh my goodness, I can't wait to work out. It's my favorite time of the day. I love it. It's so awesome. It's going to be so great. I can't wait. No, no. That is not me. That is not me. In fact, there's a lot of days that I really, really do not want to go. I don't want to. I have so many other things I could be doing. But can I tell you something? I have never, ever regretted going. I've never regretted going. I I might have a bad attitude. I might, you know, be hate it the whole time I'm there and and whine and complain. But as soon as it's over and I get in my car to leave, I'm always glad that I went. Okay? I'm always glad that I went because I know that that hard work that I'm putting in is just going to get me closer to the results that I'm looking for. You know, I know that the pain and the trouble that that workout put me through is going to develop my body and my mind into what I'm trying to become. So I can take joy in that. Okay, I may not have enjoyed the process, but I can take joy in the fact that the process is going to get me to my desired results. You see, sometimes what we see as trouble, God sees as training. You know, ever since I was a little girl, I've always wanted to be used by God. I wanted to do uh, something with my life that would would have an impact and would bring glory to God and, and would point people to Jesus. I would read the stories of the great men and women in the Bible, and man, I would just be so inspired, and I would pray these prayers like, God, just use me. Show your power through me. I want to I wanna make an impact. I want to do something great for you. But now, now that I'm older, I can see that when God used people to show his power and his glory, he almost always used trials. Trials are God's most used tool. It's his favorite tool in his little toolbox. You know, most of the people that we remember in the Bible, Job, Joseph, Daniel, Ruth, Paul, Esther, the disciples, all of these great men and women, they all faced troubles. In fact, we remember them because of how they faced troubles. 
If they had never had trouble, we probably wouldn't even remember their names. You know, if we believe that God is the same yesterday and today and forever, then it's pretty safe to assume that God still uses troubles and trials to develop us and train us today. I want to give you three reminders about your troubles that will help you to hopefully see them, start seeing them as training instead of trouble. Number one, troubles prepare us. Troubles prepare us. In Romans 5, 3 through 5, it says, Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. You know what? If we want God to trust us with the big stuff, he's not going to do that unless we prove ourselves faithful in the small stuff. Every trial, every circumstance, even our just small little daily frustrations, those are all meant to test us and to grow us stronger. You know, just like our physical bodies grow stronger through the trials and the troubles of exercise, our soul will grow stronger through the trials of life. Second thing about troubles is troubles refine us. You know, we don't always handle our troubles well. When things don't go our way, our true colors like start to show and sometimes it's not really great, okay? You know, troubles, they don't cause us to sin, but they, they really reveal what's inside of us. They, they reveal our weaknesses. I love this analogy of, of, you know, holding a coffee cup. You're holding the cup of coffee and, and someone comes along and they just bump into you and, and all of a sudden the coffee just spills out everywhere, okay? Well, why did you spill coffee? Because someone bumped you? No. Wrong answer. You spilled coffee because there was coffee in your cup. If there had been tea in your cup, you would have spilled tea because whatever is in your cup is what is going to spill out. You see, troubles, they bump our cup. And they allow us to really see what's going on on the inside of us. And if we don't like what we see, we have the opportunity to go to God and have him help us and have him refine us. Not only do troubles refine us, but number three, troubles are an opportunity for reward. In 1 Peter 1, 6 through 7, it says, So be truly glad there is a wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You know what? God entrusts us with troubles as a gift. Our troubles are a gift, and if we respond correctly to them, we can have joy knowing that we are storing up treasures in heaven. 
As I close this morning, we're just keeping it real here. God doesn't always make sense. His ways are not our ways. And the way he thinks about things is not how we would probably think about them. His kingdom is an upside down kingdom where in order to become a leader, you must become a servant. And what's impressive to people isn't always what's important to God. And, and sometimes what we see as trouble, God sees as training. The takeaway for the message today is this. God's ways don't always make sense, but his ways are always best. God's ways don't always make sense, but his ways are always best. His ways work. His ways are good. His ways are always for us. Amen? Amen.